This is Dr. Tribule with the Glio Goddess Podcast, and today we are going to be talking about mood disorders and relationships. It's super exciting. I've brought Dr. Nan Nelson, a renowned psychiatrist who has been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox for a personal advocate for women's health. She is a specialist in perinatal psychiatry and mood disorders throughout the life cycle. I love Nan. She is a down-to-earth kind of gal, lots of experience over, I believe, over 20 years, and at least in psychiatry, as well as an author to many books. So that is something we will, at the end of the show, provide a link for so you guys can have access to those. Dr. Nan Nelson is going to spend some time today to help us navigate the difference between emotion and mood and personality and mood disorders. So I'm excited. This is a personal passion of mine, which is specifically really personality and relationships. So there are many pearls today that we'll be discussing that will help all relationships, but we're going to kind of keep it specific to understanding what personality is and how to navigate relationships successfully with challenges with our behavior. So super excited. I'll start off with Dr. Nan. All right, Dr. Nan, so what is the difference between a mood and emotional state? So an emotional state is what happens in the moment. So we all have ups and downs. So you can step in the dog poop, you can get a check in the mail, you have a flat tire, somebody gives you a compliment. We all have ups and downs. That's a normal part of life. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually more of a the emotional state. Um, a mood is more like a season that it comes and it stays longer than that. So a mood is like a season um, and it lasts for weeks, months. Um, and you can be depressed, you can be in the middle, you can be above that. You can, you know, there's all kinds of moods that you can do, but they come and they stay. Mm. And then what about personality? So personality is formed pretty much at started at birth. So you can have temperament, which is where babies are easygoing or they're fussy or they are slow to warm up. And that's often how they begin to see the world. And it also depends on then how people will respond to them. So if you have a really cowlicky baby, you're not getting warm, loving smiles and coochie coochie coos and, you know, all that kind of stuff because the parents are frustrated. Um, and they don't mean to be mean, but after somebody cry, after a baby cries for five hours, eight hours, you know, they're at their end. They don't know what else to do. And so um, personality starts then, and then it goes through environment affects it, families affect it, education, poverty, wealth, food, all of those different things affect how the child then sees the world. Mm -hmm. And so a personality is a firm or mostly firm fixed way in which the person looks at the world. Mm. And there's been lots of studies. And then there's this whole thing called the DSM-5, Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. I can't even see it right. Um, <laughs> in, in, which, in which somebody has written down all of the kinds of things that go with each kind of group of patterns of behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, they're not fixed in stone. There's no saying that a person has to have all of those things. They're mm -hmm. merely an observation of what kinds of clusters of 
behaviors that go with that person. So that's usually very long-standing, and it usually extends into adulthood, and it often extends into their entire life. Um, it can change, but it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of insight from the part of the person who wants to change and make their personality different. Mm. That's actually the question I was going to ask. Can someone change their personality, especially if it's like one that's rigid and I mean, what have you noticed people that are, are interested in, in changing their personality in your experience? Not very often, unless they see a real reason for it and or something really huge happens mm-hmm. or they get really hurt and they realize they are hurting others mm-hmm. and they decide they don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to know that you have something that's not what you want. You have to want to do something about it and you got to be willing to stick with it. Um, so it is doable. People can and do change. Mm-hmm. But as psychiatrists say, you got to work at it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to want to do it. Right. So an interest of mine is in the the cluster B personalities, which we define them as the disordered personalities. Um, and, you know, sometimes they're eccentric and there's high conflict challenges with them. Um, do you notice co-occurring mood disorders within that population of people? Depends on what the cluster B is. So if you're talking antisocial and if you're talking um, narcissistic personality disorder, they are often so self-centered that they don't really necessarily get mood problems. But if they get into drugs and alcohol, which can certainly affect it. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have borderline personality disorder um, often have mood disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the underlying piece of all of that, I think, is trauma. What happened while they were growing up and while they were living? And I'm trying to remember the exact quote that somebody says, people spend their life protecting the armor of their childhood. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that really said it well, that we get defensive about how we got raised and what happened. And then we end up defending that, sometimes defending it, rather than working through and looking for another space. Oh, wow. You know, actually, let's talk about borderline versus bipolar. So like the mood disorder of bipolar versus the personality disorder of borderline, because that's something that gets mixed up a lot. And from my knowledge, there is some co, there is some cross crossing of the two. It's not uncommon to have a mood disorder with borderline. So can we speak, can you speak a little bit more about the nuances there? So bipolar disorder is usually a distinct swing of depression down and then up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a symptom cluster that goes with depression and there's a symptom cluster that goes with bipolar disorder. So mostly people who are bipolar have racing thoughts. They don't sleep. They have more energy. They talk fast. They make jumps in logic. They get silly giddy laughing. They can't control it. Um, they're impulsive. They spend money. They can be hypersexual and they can be grandiose. Mm-hmm. And then they flip and go down into the depression. There's a million different ways to do this, but Generally, people get manic and then they get depressed. Mm. And then the depression symptoms are sleeping more or less, eating more or less, tearful, ruminative where your thoughts go round and round and round. You think of something else, you come back around. Um, Sad, Mm -hmm. poor self-image, guilt, um, hopeless, helpless, thinking about death. Um, And so they swing between the up and the down. Okay. so borderline personality disorder are often people who have had lots of losses 
And so they are terrified of being left alone. And they often get this cluster of behavior that um, sometimes is painful to be around. It can be also highly engaging. Um, and so some men really like it. I mean, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride. They're, they often are very emotional. Um, and often they have things like if they get rejected, it's all or nothing. Um, sometimes they cut or burn or do other self-injurious behaviors. And often they're just terrified of being alone. Mm. Um, and they can be very bright and they can be very manipulative. And some of them have been traumatized very badly. Yeah. So I would like to know a little bit more about that. So the uh, the high and low of bipolar, like how fast is that high and low in a day versus a week? I know mood disorders are distinguished between a week states, month states, but like with, with borderline, them being very emotional, what's their duration of highs and lows within a day versus a week, that kind of thing? I think it depends on the individual. It can be minutes, it can be seconds, it can be days, Mm -hmm. it can be weeks. Usually they're very volatile. Um, So bipolar disorder, you can have what's called mixed states where you have some of the up and some of the down. The real classic bipolar is four times a year, mania and then depression. And many people get manic in the summer when the days get longer and they don't sleep. That's really classic. Um, and so theirs is more of a, a, a wave of going back and forth and back and forth. Okay. Whereas people who have borderline personality disorder, they're, they're in all a day? Over. Like in a day and a week? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. What pisses them off depends upon who told them off, some don't, what they thought, what they, you know, what they expected, um, what happened. Right. All of the above. So like... Would you say you've seen with individuals that have borderline personality disorder, they are very impulsive and make decisions based off of feelings? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Is that what you've seen? Yeah. I mean, what's your experience with, with relationships with that kind of personality disorder? So it's engaging because Mm -hmm. they're often highly sexual. Mm -hmm. Um, and so men can be really pulled into that because men tend to be more visually stimulated and um, they get engaged in this and then they get zinged pretty, pretty rapidly. Um, um, it's volatile. Um, and it depends on, on the person as to what they get, what happens. Um, it, it's a roller coaster ride, pretty mm-hmm. fast roller coaster ride. Okay. And then with, with bipolar, um, you know, what have you seen with the success of the relationships in regard to commitment and um, what it takes for the, the partner to really understand well, both, both personality and mood disorders? What, what are some so of the things? So what I would say is that the person who lives on the roller coaster mm-hmm. has to at some point realize that to be in an effective relationship, they probably need to be off the roller coaster. So they need to look at what the effects are of the up and down. And often that makes, they takes medication. It may take meditation. It <laughs> takes therapy. It takes looking at calming themselves down and figuring out how to live with what their body is. Now, 
So it's no, in some ways, it's no different than being hypoglycemic, which means your blood sugar drops or your mm-hmm. blood sugar goes high. Right. You have to figure out how to live around that right. um, because it affects your life. Mm-hmm. So the same is true of mood disorders and relationships. And so what can happen is that the person who's in a relationship wants to fix them. They want them to get well and stay well. Mm-hmm. So then they're often... They can get angry and say, well, why don't you take your medicine? Or why don't you stay on your medicine? Or, you know, you're awful to be around when you're not on your medicine. And the person who has the disorder may or may not like their medicine. And they may or not like, they may feel, some people feel that they're just flatline. They don't have any. They're so used to being on a roller coaster that they can't figure out what it's like to be on a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If you have one partner who's trying to fix this all the time or assuming that medication will fix all of this, you have an unbalance. You don't you don't have a meeting of the mind where there can be intimacy, intimacy, warmth, kindness, love, generativity, you know, the things that it takes to have a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so often. And our society doesn't help. They'll say, well, it's an all or nothing. If they just took their medications, they'd be fine. But that's not necessarily true. Um, you can still have mood swings and have been taking your medication. You can still have life circumstances. You can, you know, all kinds of things happen. Um, So there is no magic of of any one thing. But if you have a person who is criticizing, pejorative, or is saying, just do, just do, why aren't you, Uh, uh, uh," you know, that's a really tough place to build a relationship up. Um, And the person who's receiving that Mm-hmm. feels criticized, feels less than, feels that something's wrong with them. Something needs to be changed, but they don't really know what it is. Um, so it has to be, it has to be with love and kindness. Mm-hmm. You are not going to be able to change the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's a given in a relationship in which people assume, well, if I love them, they'll do uh-uh. what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote a book called Beneath the Full Moon, Compassionate Stories of the Psychiatric Unit. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, but in there, I talk about what kind of disorders there are and then what can the other person do. Um, and often I say, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. So unfortunately, people in our country feel like you have to be enmeshed with the other person. There can't be two people living side by side, each having their own lives and their own loves and their own needs and desires and hopes and dreams and all of that other, they see that they're like, well, I found my one and only and, you know, they complete me. And, you know, that's really, that's not really what I think relationships are built on. So if you do that, so then if you do that saying that I have to fix the other person to make them do and be what I want them to be, you're already set up for problems. So uh, you need to be emotionally healthy when you go into a relationship. You need to be able to stand on your own two feet. You may need to say, you know, we need to be working with somebody else to help this make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There is no instant coffee. There is no magic. Um, <laughs> so true, right? And relationships, even when they're without mood disorders, there's the nuances in life, the stresses in life, the communication and and the ability just to stay present through the stress of life is already difficult. So having a you know, a challenge with like your behavior and your mood state already adds to that. So 
there's nothing wrong with having a therapist or someone helping you with this. Well, they may need two. They may need a couple therapists and an individual therapist and a psychiatrist. Um, You know, there, there are all kinds of things that needs to happen. So in some ways, a disability like a mood disorder is no different than saying you're paralyzed or saying that you're blind or saying that you're deaf. It doesn't mean you can't have relationships. They're just going to be something you have to renegotiate. Yeah. That you have to live around and live with and grow. Right. I completely agree. And the adversity can make you even more aware of how to be more, more considerate, you know? Um, but also the adversity can make you um, a Bitter target. And angry and sad. Yeah, and it's also angry. a target for um, people that are controlling and are degrading and tra- even reaffirming traumatizing sorts of experiences. So it's being mindful of knowing the difference between that. And, you know, so with like borderline, for example, you, you mentioned there is a lot of trauma that may have participated in the neurobiology of that. Um, And so I would like to know more about that. Like, you know, I know that if we have in key times of development, um, a lot of trauma that can manifest in patterns of behavior in our relationships. So what has been your experience there? Well, so I think one of the things that came out with the Me Too is how prevalent sexual trauma is. Yeah. There's also emotional trauma. There's mm-hmm. physical trauma. Um, and I think lots of people, because they don't know what to do with it, they just say, well, get over it. But that doesn't work. If you could get over it, by God, you'd have done it by now. Um, <laughs> right? Right? It's not that simple. <laughs> it's not that simple. No, and then all and then all the people go off to war, or they're traumatized in motor vehicle accidents, or they're traumatized by a lot of the things that happen in this world. Yeah. And we actually have treatments for it now, um, but often the person doesn't. They feel damaged. They feel shame. They feel guilt. They feel less than. They feel that um, they have the, all these self limiting beliefs. Yeah, um, and often the family of origin doesn't help with that. They may re excuse me, may reinforce them rather than helping that person out of it. And so often if the trauma comes within the family, the person wants the child to change rather than them looking at their own disabilities that got them there. And so, and that's true even when they get older. So when you're sitting across from this person at the Thanksgiving table, they're like, well, just get over it. Or, you know, you need to give that up or it was so long ago or whatever it is. But Change doesn't happen that way. Um, so what happens is people get tired of knowing what not to say. And so they give these platitudes that are really painful. Yeah. Um, so I think looking at trauma in a different light and really realizing that they may have come from a place of cruelty, um, neglect, mm-hmm. um, means that you have to have the courage to stand up and walk away from these people sometimes. And most of the time in our society, we're not taught to do that. Well, they're my mother. Well, they're my father. Well, they're my brother. Well, my blah, blah, blah. And they want me to fix it. You know, no one makes up these job descriptions. And you may have to say, I'm not willing to do that. Yeah, the boundaries of that. And I found the more you assert your boundaries and the more you realize what the perspective shifts, more work you've done, having, you know, safe boundaries around people that are toxic, toxic. I mean, they, they keep you stuck. 
It's, it's really your environment. Exa- yeah. Because they want you to change because it's better than looking at their own role in this. Yeah. Yeah. And the path of joy, from my experience, is really finding self-acceptance, getting to that point and, and making relationships out of that, you know, and it is hard. You got to let go of some of these people, but. Well, but the other thing you can't (laughs) say again, you can't rescue others. They want you to rescue. And often people who have been traumatized are caretakers. Yeah. So often the child, the adult child of an alcoholic, that child became the caretaker and fed the other children, got them all off to school, got them clothing going, got their lunches going. And so um, they're used to being a caretaker. They never really had a childhood. And so they live with blame and shame and guilt and that they have to take care of everybody. And that's not true. Um, oh, that's so, oh, so well said. Amen to that. Yes. To have- So that then can get dragged into relationships. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the person that they're in a relationship doesn't get why the other person's caretaking or they want them to caretake them instead of having a relationship that's even head to head rather than one above or one below. So true. And this is great because I think something to say here is that an equal relationship is reciprocity, curiosity. I see you, you see me. It requires the feeling of safety, the path of trust, and then there's commitment. A lot of us are not living in those kind of relationships. And this idea of settling of like, oh, it's, man, I don't really like my husband, but I'm living with him. You know, like that. No, is, no, no just living with him. They're miserable. I know. So I interviewed a lady. I interviewed a lady Thursday or Friday, and she sobbed through the whole thing. And her husband was sitting next to her. Was on. Was on uh, video. And you know, he came over and he stuck his head in the in the space, and he said, "She is a liar. She can't tell the truth. She lies to herself, and she does not have any remorse." And he was so critical. And mm-hmm. at some point, I said, "And at some point, I said to him, you know." Um, how about if you leave the room? Because I'm trying to evaluate her. He says, no, I'm sitting right here and I'm writing it all down. And I'm telling you whether she's telling the truth or not. And I'm like, whoa. And the more he criticized, the more I realized I was going to be able to get what was really going on. Um, Hmm. Could you see the anger in him and the resentment? Oh yeah, they were both angry. I mean, they're both resentful. And I said, so clearly there's marital discord here. Clearly there is no trust and you are really angry. He says, yeah, I called the police on her. And I'm like, well, that will really bring intimacy. Um, um, and at some point, and there's, she was like taking care of seven kids and she's working full time. And I was like, you know, this is not equality. Um, was he working? I didn't get the sense he was. If he was, he wasn't sharing stuff. Um, no. And I was like, oh. you know, why don't you see me next week and him not be there? And then we can talk because you've had enough shaming and enough criticism for today um I ached for her and that's not a marriage I mean well I mean a lot of people are living in this they are I know she's living in it I know and I've lived in a a relationship that was really awful and we like walked on eggshells it was it was miserable Mm -hmm. um and I'm glad I'm not in that relationship anymore been a long time but you know you can get to some really tough spots and that you talk yourself into thinking that there are no other options. Mm. There are not other things you can do. And there are lots that you can do. You know, this is so true. And even if it's abusive to the point that the person's laying their hands on you and you feel unsafe. So interesting. I wanted to bring this up. I have a, I've been coaching a client that mentioned that 
um, one of her therapists had, had said, you know, to confront the person that has been a, an aggressive to her. So he had, I'm not sure that'd be. I, and I wanted to say that is not the path of, you need to learn how to find somewhere safe, but also you don't want to confront someone that's already aggressive. Like they could, that's, that's, hurt you. yeah, they're going to hurt you. So Setting yourself out to be hurt again. Exactly. So you want to give them the upper hand to think that they're, that they are in control while subtly detaching and finding ways to keep it calm, cool, and collective and not engaging in the conflict, but finding a place where you can go that's safe. I just couldn't believe the therapist told her that does not have abuse training at all. No. So what you know is that if they've done it before, they'll do it again. Yeah. But if you, you know, you confront the aggressor about cheating or something, they're going to, that's when they have a a crisis. That's when aggression comes, right? Yes. Because it's the childhood attack right there, right? You're getting them right into the confrontation of the the rage comes from when they're confronted with something that they they're doing that they're in denial of. So I just, I could not believe a therapist would say that to her. So I was just like, wow. (laughs) <laughs> well, if you want to do it in their office, be my guest. You're going to have to protect the client. But short of that, I think you're just setting them up to be abused again. Yeah. And I think for me, a long time, it was very hard for me to figure out why people don't leave. So when oh. you work with when you work with domestic violence, oh, yes. the list of why women stay is just very long. And it's very difficult because they're caught in the cycle of abuse and they may not have the self-image to leave. They may not have the money. This person may be using the children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard. I know. I know. It's a hard place. That's why anybody that asks me, like, you know, they're single now and they're looking for a relationship with a man, especially women. Some of there's some women still that I see that are wanting, um, you know, to be the mom and to to stay at home mom. And from my experience, I just have not seen a healthy relationship exist with a stay at home situation unless the mother is really um, engaged in, in a, basically a community involvement somewhere or is working part-time because if you make your identity all about just the family and you're with someone that's supporting you, you're risking that person to be abusive. Right. So I think it depends on the individual, right? I think it depends on the man. It depends on the woman. It depends on where they're at at this point. Um, um, so I think there are some men that are quite willing to let the children be at home and raise the children and take care of all those things. But there's in, in, inherently a inequality of that yeah. because yeah. then he wants to come home and he wants to rest. And she feels like, you know, they each feel like they're doing all the work, but there's not really a sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it can be done. I think it can be done depending on the individual. Yeah. Um, but I think it has to be negotiated. It can't be just done and then not looked at again. Mm-hmm. So I think when people were like farming together, oh, yeah. um, it was the two couples and they had to really do these things to survive. I think there were different boundaries, but there were also different role negotiations. I mean, women could plow the field just as much as the man could. Right. They could both milk the cow. They could both, you know, make dinner. Um So I think it depends on the individuals. And I think, you know, it depends on this generation figuring that out on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, if you have one person making all the money, they tend to have the power. Yeah. And then, you know, if you have that previous experience of being with abusive family members, 
then you're setting yourself up for finding someone with a pattern like that. So it just puts you at risk, right? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. 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 It just, it's, yeah, it's a place. Well, what are some things, you know, that you suggest with relationship, uh, relationships with like mood disorders and personality disorders? What are some skills and, you know, I know there's dialectical behavior therapy, there's cognitive behavioral therapy. What are some really useful tools in your toolbox that you've suggested for, um, yeah, mood disorders and, and personality challenges? It is really tough mm-hmm. because often by the time they get to me, they're at what I would say crumble. Mm-hmm. By the time by the time they're with me, the person's been suicidal. Or they'll say, you know, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. Well, that's the ultimate blackmail. And how can you ever expect them to open up and trust that you're not going to harm themselves? Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of personality disorders and mood disorders, by the time they get to me, I'm usually seeing the pieces. Um, Because I think the, the treatment for those happened much sooner than that, much closer into the beginning. If, for example... I can think of an example where the child killed themselves. So they had a suicide in the family. Mm -hmm. So that's a very different thing than where one had a mood disorder and one had a personality disorder is there's a trauma and they have to both be willing to meet together and deal with each other's grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's doable. But again, you have to be willing to look at it and want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I have any magic. I don't know that I have any answers because I think by the time that I get involved, usually people are at fisticuffs. They're at, they're at, um, contempt. Yeah. Betrayal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the, the truth of it is that has to happen a lot earlier on. So if you find that someone does have a mood disorder, you know, some of the families want the other person to come in and come to the meetings. That will work if they'll shut up and listen. Um, and I don't mean that rudely, but, th- but they have to be willing to hear what, what the professional says. Mm-hmm. Um, because, cri- again, criticizing the other person isn't going to work. Um, and saying, yeah, but they didn't do that the last time. And yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, so it's going to take growth on both parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and acceptance and warmth and kindness and um, and the person who has the disorder has to want to change as well mm-hmm. but they're not going to do that easily if they're criticized right or under continuous scrutiny yeah that's true that's that's just autonomically contributing to more defensiveness and no called trust yeah called trust Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these are the little things in the communication that we have. So I'm thinking about insight here, right? So some, like, for example, with mood disorders, insight can be impaired. And so mm-hmm. when you find a person that's like, okay, I'm ready to, obviously my life is, something's going on, I'm, I'm ready to change. When you get them on medications and their insights better, what have you seen in, in regards to communication relationships? Well, by the other side flip of that is when I put people on medication, I say, you know, pills don't give skills. And they'll say, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, this isn't going to change your husband. Yeah. And she looked at me, she said, what? And I said, no, 
this medication is not going to change your husband. She said, well, I thought it would make me more lovable. And I'm like, well, you're lovable like you are, dear. The, the truth of it is, it's not going to fix what's between the two of you. And, it's, and then I finally added after a minute, I thought, I said, and it's not going to change your boss either. And she was like, and I was like, well, you know, these things can make you, so antidepressants, first off, for example, they make you less tearful. They make you less irritable. They give you some resilience. So what would have taken you to the wall kind of rolls off your back. And now you can kind of stand up and say, oh, I can deal with that. Yeah. Um, then you begin to sleep a little better. You eat a little better. And somebody will say, oh, you look like you feel better. And you think, how would you know? And then finally, <laughs> two weeks later, they kind of go, oh, I feel better. But that's not going to go back and undo the arguments between the two of them. It's not going to undo how you feel about the other person maybe having an affair or the affair you're having. It yeah. doesn't undo that you're doing all the work at the home and the house. And there's, and there's an imbalance in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, so the antidepressants are not going to change that. They make you more affable. They make you more willing to sit down and talk. They make you less irritable, but they're not going to change that relationship. Right. Just like, just like an employer, just like anything else you do. Um, it's the practice of, of changing. It's a practice of doing something different, doing something you've never done to get something you have, haven't had. So it's like the little things, right? Starting with curiosity. I think the best skill that most people that I've worked with benefit from is changing their statements into questions. Changing their statements into questions because already that starts to show, well, I'm actually curious and it shows the empathy, the compassion there. Um, so I tell people when they come across a negative thought, think the opposite. So if you think, yeah, oh, I'm worthless. And you say, well, what if I'm worth everything? Just I'm like so kind of worthy. <laughs> so, right. Yes. And so well, what if all of this was possible? Yeah. Instead of putting it all down and saying, no, it's not possible. Because if you don't think it's possible, you're not going to do anything. Right. And also telling them the mind has a strong negativity bias. It's normal. Like our mind goes to the negative more than the positive. So you have to be like understanding that we all have that and then doing the opposite of that. So adding so sometimes the this is a survival mechanism. So if you yeah. think about it. If you were living in the woods, in the forest, or in the cave, mm -hmm. you got to remember not to do this and not to do that and not to do this and not to do that. And if I did that, the bear came at me. And if I pee on myself, they're going to smell me. And, you know, it, those were all survival things. And I think that's part of how our brain became so negative, yeah. um, of trying to figure out how do we survive in this world. Yeah. Um, and then if you grow up in a family of negativity, man, it's hardwired. But I explained to people, it's kind of, and I'm, this is probably simplistic and I apologize, but I tell, and I live in Ohio. So I tell people, if you're going down a fresh snow hill yeah. on a sled, you get about halfway down and you fall off. Yeah. Then you the second or third time you go down about two thirds of the way and then you fall off. Then five or six times you now have a nice path and you go out of the bottom of the hill and then you fall off. So what you're doing is you're building kind of by afternoon, you have an ice luge in which you go whoosh down the hill. So right. the same is true with your thinking. So if you got to one negative spot and then you went to the same down thing and you got to the negative spot that was next a little worse, and then you go to the next, you then have built an emotional neurologic track to follow that again and again. And so you yeah. have to be willing to stop at the places where you fell off before and say, oh, how did I get here? Oh, well, that's not necessarily true. And look at how you made those neural paths 
and that have become highways. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to look at your emotions and you have to look at your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So thoughts come before emotions. And I usually give the example, if you're in New York City or a big city and you go to the street corner and you're going to step off and somebody bumps you, you think, what's the matter with that person? Why were they trying to push me out into traffic? And then you look back and you see that they have a cane. And you go, oh, well, they're not trying to kill me. They're just trying to survive and get across the street themselves. So it's it's more about what you think first and then emotions come. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at the thoughts underneath this ice luge of how you got from point A to point B and how you got there and how you have other possibilities, how you can think. It mm-hmm. isn't necessarily easy. So there's uh, Daniel Amen says you need automatic negative, you, you need ants. Prompt the ants. Automatic, mm-hmm. Yes. Automatic negative thoughts needing an ant eater. So you need to sweep those up and look at something else because otherwise they become automatic and you use those. But that doesn't mean that they're right. Right. It doesn't mean they're right. And then it creates your reality. And then you live mm-hmm. in this reality of pessimism. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Um, you're also making me, reminding me of like, with with behavioral change, we have to one one strategy to recognize our blind spots. If you can't, if you're not with someone that's in your environment that's helping you with this, it's writing. It's writing a reflection of your day and tracking your patterns of where that is. That's helpful to identify, but you have to commit to that. Small commitment, set yourself up for success. Don't aim big, small steps first, right? It's the small steps that get you up that mountain. So it's like Today I'm writing for five minutes a reflection of I do like general brackets of like how is my relationships today? How are my feelings? How are my finances? You know, that's how I do things. But if it's just an area that, you know, whatever's gonna get you to comply and and, and do that. And then also keeping your notebook out in an area that cues you to do it. So that is at the same time every day, right? So so you gotta learn to take care of yourself. Yeah. So I think that. I think this is more true of women than it is of men, that if you don't take your sick care of yourself, nobody else will. Yeah. And so if you have children, leaving a notebook out may not be easy. Um, it doesn't mean that you have time to um, put down some of those thoughts. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you're going to have to build in that space to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a wonderful um, rabbi um, saying that I have lived or have sung. It was in a song and I would sing it to myself in medical school. And that's if, if I'm not for myself, then who will be? If that's all that I am, then what am I? Mm-hmm. And if not now, then when? Mm-hmm. Because we can get so caught up in the minute to minute busyness of everything we do. But if we don't take care of ourselves, nobody else will. Um, and we lose sight of that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and we need to model that, especially if we had children in our environment, we need to teach them that too. That's actually even more important. Because if you're teaching them that, you know, you do everything for everyone else and you're last, it's not. The girls grow up and do the same thing. And the boys expect that it be done for them. Or it's, you know, it could go either or, but that's pretty cool. That's more the traditional cultural that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work in an environment today where women are working, men are working. Um, We still have to deal with the skills like here of communication of like, okay, we're both working. So we need to collaborate and communicate. So each of us have equal dispersal of task delegation, right? Right. Because the resentment path of like, oh, I'm doing too much because I'm doing what I was taught to do. If you don't recognize that, that's going to 
really affect your relationship. So. And, it, and it's the same is true with your children. Mm-hmm. So if you don't talk to them that I can't do all of this, I need your help. Mm-hmm. You resent them as well. And you get angry. You know, it's so interesting too. It's so interesting that many people I coach too, they, they talk about, well, my family life was normal, right? My, my parents never talked or had What's normal. I know, I know. It's like, okay, but, but there wasn't. Well, that means you never did learn. That means you no learned no conflict resolution. And I wanted to bring this up because conflict mm. is good. It's how it's dealt with that you need to learn. So if you're, if you're learning that there is no such thing of conflict in a relationship, I'm really curious about what really. is, it's not true. Like that's what is going how on. How does anything get resolved? Yeah. And all of us have problems yeah. in our relationships. It's not perfect. Right. But it's, it's about that, this idea of, well, our family was normal. We didn't have any disagreements or discussions or there wasn't any conversations around this. Mm. It's about showing that, yeah, we do have healthy disagreements and talking through that. So, so I really personally have disliked Norman Rockwell because he's got all these pictures of what's supposed to look idealistic, but it's not ideal. It's not what's going on. It's not, it doesn't allow for any individuality. It doesn't allow for anybody having any needs, wants, desires, hopes, dreams. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we're not in a traditional place anymore. Women are working, men are working. It is now about equality and integrity and, and, and addressing the communication deficits of how we can both be considered in this relationship, or you're just going to have unresolved emotions between each other. And that's not a joy path. Yeah. Right. It's a betrayal path. It's a betrayal path. And those little betrayals, they add up. And Gottman's work says this all the way. Like it's the small moments where if you don't connect, you're on the betrayal path. And eventually there's going to be contempt, divorce, there's or um, you know, adultery. So so I think part of our problem is the technology. Yeah. So we're not teaching our children to be able to communicate. They all text. They're all sitting on the couch texting each other. It's like you don't make eye contact. (laughs) How do, you, how do you make full sentences? How, how do you how do you do anything other than just show each other the picture and say things in three word sentences? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we are really headed for an even tougher path. And so then when when COVID came and people were really isolated, they felt isolated, um, and that oh, was huge. That brought that's on anxiety. Least of what they felt, yeah, isolation. But then they're with people that in their house that they were not traditionally, you know, they're married, but they realized. I wasn't married because I was working away from my partner. <laughs> but well, not together, just that. we live in the we live in the same house, but that's it. Yeah. I'm We're like, living what? side by side lives rather than connect. I know. It's like, what kind of relationship is that? The joy path is like there's so much more to the intimacy and, and the having fun. You can really have fun with someone you love. So there's a there's a family that I really love the idea. So when COVID happened and they couldn't work anymore, they brought their laptops, they rented a kind of a trailer camper, they put all the kids and they took off across the country. Oh, and it was it was incredible. Um, and so then they could sleep out of the camper and they got to really know each other and they could do their homework. And um, they talked about the 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 girl sitting on the on the toilet playing her trombone and. <laughs> <laughs> But what what it was, was it was spontaneous and it was enjoyment of the moment and not living with all of the other expectations. Mm. Um, Oh, keys to a successful relationship, the novelty, the spontaneity, 
the curiosity, um, the communication and the task, the delegation of like in your relationship, you don't put place a village of work on one person. It's, you know, you get your emotional, you know, experience for, you know, physical experience for, but that's so creative and adaptive. It really takes a a healthy mindset to be that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a cool, cool way to be family going on a trip, making the best of what they had. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. I love the idea. They got these two huge dogs. So there's this picture that, you know, they've got this image of them all sitting on this funny little couch and, you know, the dog draped across them. And yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, from your experience, what are some skills you think most people would value today with, with um, when they're in a place where they're having a hard time wanting to stay together? Honesty. So I was just writing a a thing on empty arms and where a woman would deal with miscarriage and grief and loss. And I think it's disingenuous to be not honest. So people say, hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? And it's disingenuous to say, I'm fine. And then inside you're raging, but I'm not fine. So finding ways to even little say, Mm -hmm. hi, how are you? And you say, I usually say I'm medium. I've learned to say I'm medium. Mm-hmm. medium what so if it's somebody who really is just doing a hi how are you I'm fine how are you mm-hmm. you know that they're just giving you rope crap right <laughs> oh and, it's and old, really, honky tell me something right <laughs> tell me what, right, what's right. going on just one thing <laughs> right so so you're not going to give them an answer that that you're going to leave yourself vulnerable because they don't really want to know but if you say medium and they say what do you mean medium then you can say I'm medium rare I'm medium well um but it then allows you to then figure out where the other person is and whether you want to be vulnerable or not. Oh, ready to receive. And, and, and yeah, that's beautifully said is the honesty because we do need to, we do need to be honest and, and we need to regulate, but who do we de- deliver that information to? Well, the person that, you know, understanding who was the one that may have contributed to some hurt feelings. Cause I, I'm, I'm experiencing, you know, and you probably have experienced this too as a clinician, you get the the lashing of someone else's emotional baggage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get the lashing of that. Like, well, this was, I'm, the person's angry at me, but that's actually because the person that they want to talk to, they can't, (laughs) or they're not getting something from the person that they're dating or whatever it be, but it's, finding ways to feel safe enough to do it and try. So, so I usually talk about in relationships, when people first get together, they tell each other everything and they're so happy to be able to share and say, Oh, wow. They like this. They don't like that. Or they like this. And we're together like this. And some point then they stop telling each other things because they think, well, that person doesn't want to hear that. And I don't know how to tell them that. And so then they're all of these little I don't know what to describe it. Walls. Um, yeah, micro And they can't feel that they can tell each other. So I know there was a man that I was evaluating and he was trying to quit drinking. And um, mm-hmm. I said to him, so why don't you just, A, pour out everything that you've got in the house? Mm-hmm. Well, no, what if I get bad and I need some in the middle of the night? I'm like, but that's the point. And then I said, he said, well, she drinks. I said, you know, if you, she already thinks you've stopped drinking, so you don't want to do this because she thinks you're already drinking, stop drinking. And now you've got this amount of deception going on that you're not going to be able to overcome. Mm-hmm. So why not say, I need to stop drinking. I need your help. 
Mm-hmm. Let's pour out all the alcohol in the house. I need to get treatment. I need help. Um, instead of living with deception and having a half a gallon of vodka in the, in the garage that they can go out and nip from whenever they want to. Oh, this takes courage. That takes, this is something you mentioned last time is the courage to do that. And what, what allows us to be courageous? That takes a lot of willpower. Yeah. So I was thinking of the book, the, the courage to heal. And that was for incest survivors. And I can't remember the woman who wrote the book um, was one of the first founding ones that talked about abuse, mm. but it does take courage to heal. Mm-hmm. It does take courage to, to look at this and say, because otherwise, what, what kind of relationship do they have? Mm-hmm. Can't be well, honest with each other. Yes. What do they have? Yes. So let's say you've been in a, an environment where you've had someone be physical to you the moment you share a feeling or your own opinion, and they didn't want to hear it. So that obviously conditions you to not want to say anything. So it's finding someone safe that you can start to exercise courage with to build that self-esteem redeem, right? Like to start building that self-esteem again and the confidence again to help separate yourself from people like that. You know, because some of us may have even experienced that in childhood. The discipline structure was the moment a child says, which was developmentally, you know, normal, they, you know, they might've said some feelings and the parent didn't agree with it and punish them for it. Right. And not only do they say, shut up, they say, they hit them. They say, shut up and and, and be quiet. Take yes. it. And let me hit you and, and you not cry. Yeah. Um, well, and this can be a limiting belief too. Like those, those traumas, those past experience can come up in a healthy relationship. And you, if you don't have the courage to try and the person that's not going to respond adversely, right. Then you're allowing yourself to bring your past into the future again with something that could potentially be even better. So the hard part is, is you have learned helplessness. Yeah. So uh, for those of people who are listening, learned helplessness, and I don't know who made up these tests, but they're pretty nasty. But if you put a, a frog in boiling water, they'll jump out. Yeah. If you put a frog and you slowly raise the temperature, the frog doesn't jump out. Mm-hmm. And they have all these studies where they had um, dogs and they would um, have an electrical stimulus underneath them and... If there wasn't a place for them to escape, the dog just took it. And then when you put them in a container where they can actually then move away from it, they don't because they don't know that they can. It's learned helplessness. Um, And so unfortunately, the trauma of your whatever happened in the past, somehow you have to figure out that that, that that's not happening again. Mm -hmm. And you got to be able to willing to try something new Mm -hmm. and find that there is a different response. Mm -hmm. I think that's the courage to heal. Mm the courage to look at it and say, I'm not where I was. Mm -hmm. So I often tell women, um, and this is more true of women, men may have to choose other things, that I tell them to paint your fingernails a color that you didn't have when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. Bright orange or metallic or whatever. And then you can look at when something's reminding you from the past, you look at your hands and you say, this is today. Mm -hmm. This is October the 24th, 2021. This is not happening again. Mm Whatever I'm dealing with is a memory. I can deal with that with my therapist or journaling or whatever, but this is now. I am safe. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Yep. So you have to ground yourself in the here and now of today and say, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And that takes courage. It does. It takes courage in an environment where you can be seen 
and there isn't going to be an adverse reaction. So I know, and it may mean, and it may mean changing who you live with. Exactly. So that environment, right? So it may mean having to accept the pain of letting go of people you may love that don't treat you well, that don't, that are not loving and changing like one learning that that isn't love. That can be very painful. So I love her. Dr. Phil says, if that's love, don't love me. Yes. I don't, I'd rather not. Right. I'd rather not be, it's way better to be by yourself than that. Right. And, and, and when somebody has been through that, they actually kind of go, wow, more relief than they've ever known to be alone mm-hmm. and not to be criticized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you could give some, you know, I know we're, we're, this is a general, some general pros for any relationship, but to going back to specifically some, to some mood disorders, if you could give some pearls on like the confidence building to individuals with mood and personality disorders that want change, that want a successful relationship, what would you say? You know, a lot of them come, I've seen a lot of them. They feel that they can't have a successful relationship. They have a lot of shame and guilt around their condition. So it manifests in behaviors like abusive, um, you know, sex abuse. I've seen a lot of sex abuse in bipolar individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I have any good answers for that. Mm -hmm. I wish I did. Mm -hmm. Um, Because by that time, as I said, they're somewhere down the path. Mm -hmm. They've got to want to make changes. Mm-hmm. And they've got to realize at some point that this isn't intimacy building. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to look at the behavior and saying, so this may feel good at the moment. Is that something I really want in the long term? Mm-hmm. So I kind of describe it's like being a diabetic. I'm a type one diabetic and I have an insulin pump and I go someplace and they have cake. And I think to myself, "Ooh, I'd really love some of that cake. And then I have to imagine a little asp snake circling the cake, looking at me saying, yum, yum. <laughs> That's brilliant. Do I want this piece of cake or do I want to live? Do I want to keep my hands and feet and not get diabetic neuropathy? Yeah. Do I want to keep my eyes? Do I want to see my children grow up and have grandchildren? Mindset. Do I want to, do I want to be here? And is it worth the sacrifice at the moment? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't need a piece of cake. I'm not going to die without a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but at the moment, it's really, and our society is, oh, it's just a piece of cake. It's just a, you know, eh, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the same is true of relationships. So when I was working with somebody, I said, you know, before you do something that's abusive, try it on yourself first before you do it to the other person. See what it really feels like. Is that something you really want? Mm-hmm. Um, do you really get sexually high out of out of hurting somebody else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You have to stay curious when you're working with these people to say, is that really what you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the congruency. I, I ask a lot of those questions too. It's like, okay, so you're saying you want you want to experience love and you want to experience something healthy. What does that really look like? What does that really look like? And how are you going to live in the moment? How are you living? Because it's not, it's again, it's like when we're talking about focusing on other people's behavior, it's about focusing on ourselves. We can only change ourselves, right? Yeah. And staying focused there, focusing. And and I tell them the only person you can change is yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to change somebody else. Mm -hmm. So we think, oh, I can get them to change that. Uh Uh-uh. What you see is what you get. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a, uh, an iceberg. What you see on the tip is huge underneath (laughs) because they're not going to necessarily show you all of that. That's true. Well said, so well said the, the, the tip. And then there's a huge iceberg underneath it. What a great analogy there. Parable. I loved it. Yeah. 
Okay. So where can we find you? You, I have a website, which I got help doing because I am not as Oh, technologically stop. advanced for your so, age I just I'm learning, learning. <laughs> um so heal dot com is my website you can actually I I have a virtual office where you can set up an appointment with me if you want one and or you can buy my books or contact me mm-hmm. and do you take insurance I don't know yet probably <laughs> not work in progress uh, but, but for now it's okay Right. But so, but actually I'm not even charging anything. So if I do somebody's genetic testing, I don't charge for that. Um, I want people to get better. Um, I'm here to make a difference. Amen. Sister, how do you do that? So how do you do the genetic testing? Yeah, without charging. Uh, I haven't figured that out at this point. Nobody's done it. So most of the people I'm seeing now come and see me and I set them up for the genetic testing. And then I set them up and talk about what does that mean? Yeah, but yeah, you could go through my virtual office, and I could send you the packet. Um, send off your genetics, and you know the the genetic test, and then come back, and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, I'm willing to be flexible. I, I want people to change and live and grow. Mm-hmm. What I find so interesting, though, is when somebody does place a little bit of money of some investment into something, they're more likely to do something. Yes, They're I more get likely. I know. I see the, the point here though, because it, you know, it's, it's caring, showing how much you care. And there is a population of people that need that. Well, to summarize, Dr. Nan, I'm so grateful for you to be here today and to spend your time so graciously in the stories that you shared for the people that listen to this. I wanted to summarize that honesty and courage and perspective are the things today we really need to put our money in and our time in. Honesty, courage, and perspective. Because that is the path of joy. And hope. Yes. Yes. If and you have hope, you can take on what's thing. Yes. Amen to that. Well, we're so thankful. Much love. Thanks. Be well. Do again. Be well.